SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, continuing the off-season content series today with uh, a look inside Western Kentucky with uh, someone who experienced the uh, great season they had in 20. 20- 2019 firsthand, uh, linebacker Clay Davis. Uh, now, Jill Lundergan, Eric Henry here with you once again. Uh, Eric, we, we talked to Clay about this, but experienced a medical hardship that he had to deal with. And, uh, you know, excited to, you know, talk to him and uh, hear what he had to say about um, his time with the Hilltoppers and the next steps for him as a football player. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, it's always a pleasure whenever we can have a current or a former player and a clay kind of kind of fits both of those, you know, freshly um, do I had to uh, you know, medically retire. But still, you know, it's always a pleasure when those guys make time to come on. And uh, I think the audience will really enjoy the conversation, getting a peek behind the curtain of Hilltopper football over the past two years, particularly that 2019 year. I know you, know, you and I both didn't really see coming, <laughs> uh, seeing where that program was coming off the Mike Sanford era. And then, of course, the opening day loss to Central Arkansas. I'll never forget the name Lawan Winningham. Eight catches for like 200 yards and three touchdowns. But the Nash rebound from that and have a really successful 2019. And in 2020, Joe, you know, one of the few teams in CUSA that could play a full slate of games. So definitely a, a pleasure to have that conversation with him. And uh, I think audience will enjoy. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, try as I might, you will not let me forget the name LeVon Winningham, will you? (laughs) It's so distinct, but also um, the reason I will not let you forget that one is if you remember correctly, I I called that upset. Uh, There was two FCS upsets I called. I can't remember which one was the second one, Um, but I remember calling that one. And that's part of the reason why I will not let you up. In the three years, three years we've been doing this podcast, I've called two FCS upsets. So. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we'll let you have that one. Uh, regardless, enjoy our conversation with uh, Mr. Clay Davis, great kid, and uh, hope to hear more from him. Clay, really appreciate you having some time for us. Uh, you know, obviously, first off, uh, so sorry to hear about the injury and uh, the fact that your your football career looks like it uh, might be done. But, um, you know, from your time at Western Kentucky, we're a, a big part of that team in 2019 where Coach Helton was the uh, CUSA Coach of the Year and uh, really started bringing the program back. What was it like to uh, play for Coach Helton in that year? Oh, that was really exciting. Uh, coach Helton is definitely the type of coach that uh, you want to play for. Uh, he really brings a lot of energy to the table, and uh, he really expected a lot out of us. And uh, I think that's why we were so successful that season. I mean, what was kind of the uh, difference between him and the old regime from what you can remember? Um, I just feel like there was a lot more, uh, I guess, respect for Coach Helton and uh, intuitive to play for him. Uh, I think that really the biggest difference would just be those things I just stated. I mean, he just had a different energy to him that everybody just bought into and bought into everything that he believed in. And we believe the same thing. Okay. What was kind of the uh, feeling about the team going into last year with it being such a strange year due to all the coronavirus concerns and whatnot? Um, obviously the record wasn't, I would assume what you all were shooting for, but um you know, what was it like being around for that kind of scenario? Uh, going into the season, we really had no idea, like, if we were going to get to play, but we were preparing like we were going to. 
Um, and then obviously in uh, August is when I, during camps when I had my first injury. Uh, so I wasn't really with the team a whole lot after that point. But leading up to that point, we were doing everything the right way, uh, COVID testing three, four times a week, uh, and uh, really just making sure that we were prepared for a season because we didn't want to get to the season and not be prepared for it. So that was kind of our mindset was prepare like we're going to be playing a full season. And uh, they actually ended up playing almost a full full year. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, so with the uh, with the defense specifically, what was your impression of how much that unit grew from 2019 to 2020? And what do you expect from them in uh, 2021 here? Well, we had a bunch of new pieces coming into the uh, to last season, the 2020 season. And uh, I really expect them to grow a lot more going into this 21 season because we have a lot of even more experienced players like D'Angelo Malone come back for another year. Uh, just a lot of guys that stuck around that really wanted to make up for the year before. So I've, I personally have really high expectations for this team. Great to hear. Um, Clay, when you came to uh, Western Kentucky, you transferred in from Tennessee Tech. Um, obviously, you've probably heard about the uh, rule change within the NCAA now that grants uh, athletes a one-time uh, immediate eligibility rule. Um, what's kind of your thoughts on that now that, um, you know, obviously you went through the whole transfer process in college football and, you know, unfortunately had to sit out a year? Uh, well, my personal transition and my personal experience, um, I was kind of okay uh, sitting out that year because I was had, I hadn't redshirted before at Tech. I played uh, my first two seasons there uh, at safety, and I was actually coming in to play linebacker at Western. That's where they wanted me to play at. So I was okay with uh, really sitting the year out to learn the defense and really get bigger and stronger because it's a, it's a different ball game from FCS to FBS. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on what were some of the differences between the FCS and the FBS game that you noticed? Uh, the biggest thing has got to be the uh, offensive linemen. Uh, the guys in the offensive linemen in, uh, in G5 compared to FCS, they just, well, anybody in the FBS uh, programs is just a lot bigger and a lot faster. I mean, in, uh, in the FCS, you had guys that were either big or that were fast, really didn't have both of them combined. That's the biggest thing that I noticed. Um, you had skilled players that were fast and could run routes all over the field, but that, to me, was the biggest difference. I'm not sure if that's just because I, were going, I was going against those guys a lot more when I transferred to Western. It seems like Western has a knack for bringing in these guys who can play that safety linebacker hybrid position. Where Do you feel like that's kind of part of the reason why you were attracted to uh, that program in the first place? Um, I'm not sure if that's the reason I was attracted to it. But, yeah, Conference USA especially, you have to have linebackers that can run and that are fast and agile and that can react quick just because of the type of offenses that we go against. What were what are some kind of experiences that you had uh, playing against some of those offenses that kind of demonstrate that? Uh, fatigue, <laughs> that's one thing. Uh, I know against FAU in particular, uh, those guys had a really uh, fast-paced offense and uh, faster than really any other guys in the conference. But uh, fatigue is one thing that you definitely have to be prepared for and uh, quick signal calling. Certainly makes sense. Uh, that FAU team, they've uh, they've brought so much just speed and, you know, that no huddle kind of style of offense that uh, Kiffin ran when he was there and now Willie Taggart running right. there. So they're they're super interesting to watch. Um, Clay, you know, obviously with the injury issues that, that you had to deal with at Western, um, what was that experience like and what was your mindset as you were trying to come back from, you know, a meniscus and an ACL tear? 
Um, well, my mindset was really to not let it get to me um, because, I mean, if you let it get to you, you're just going to delay your recovery and delay your time to get back on the field. Uh, for me, I was just thinking that I had to make sure I get back for the season, for the uh, for the spring season, excuse me, because it was such a quick turnaround from fall to, to the spring season. I want to make sure I was ready for that. Uh, but my mindset was definitely just to attack it and don't let it get to me. I, I got to beat it up before it beats me up. What was the process like when, you know, you consulted with your, your doctors and, you know, the training staff at, at WKU uh, in regards to making the decision to, you know, retire from football? Um, well, I took a time, I took the time to speak with my family and uh, my girlfriend and everything. And uh, we, well, coming back, we were not really sure if it was just inevitable, if it was just uh, hereditary that, uh the reason I got injured. So going through a whole nother second surgery uh, and recovery was going to be a lot on me and uh, really putting myself at that risk for having a third tear or a third injury. And uh, I really just wanted to be able to, you know, teach my kids how to play sports or, you know, be able to move around with my kids. I didn't want to, you know, ho hobble around everywhere and not get to experience those moments, those uh, moments in life. I know part of your plan for this next phase of life is to get into coaching. How do you feel like those experiences dealing with um, everything that you've had to, to deal with here um, will influence your style of coaching? Um, well, it really just uh, anything that goes on in life, adversity, uh, you have to be able to respond and rebound from it uh, because no matter what you do in life, you're always going to have that adversity and uh, it really makes the person uh, – what makes a person is how they respond. And I, I think that I will definitely uh, hammer that home as a coach is what's next. You know, like what we always had this saying at Western, put the ball down. We don't care what happened last play, put the ball down and let's go again and let's see if you can do it again. Um, it's really just that's that's I feel like that's a very key mindset in football because you never you never know what could happen one player or another. And also another thing that I would really hone into those guys that coaches really talk to you a lot that I never really thought too much about is you never know this is going to be your last play. And uh, for me, my last play was earlier than I wanted to be. And, you know, it, it's kind of disappointing in how it happened, but, you know, it's just adversity and you got to respond from that. So my next step in life is to get into coaching just because I love the game so much. How do you feel like your journey and your experience as a football player translates to Call of Duty? <laughs> that's funny you say that i was actually just now uh making a video for for the new uh war zone season that came out uh i wouldn't really correlate the two but just the passion that i bring and everything i do i want to be the best at everything that i do and i know but you're you're on you're on uh you're on twitch and you're making the youtube videos with uh with Warzone and whatnot uh pretty regularly i've checked them out a few times uh for reference i've never once made it out of the gulag so i can appreciate uh the uh, i can appreciate the high level players but um how'd you kind of get into that scene um uh, well i know i've always loved gaming and uh i've always you know kind of got into gaming but i've never really got into streaming or gaming heavily really until my first injury i knew i was going to have a lot more time outside of football so really just to keep my mind off of things and uh found out that i really enjoy making videos and streaming and stuff uh shout out to my channel youtube and twitch channel silent cd uh the eye is actually a one but yeah i just really enjoyed those uh those moments to really just get away from the injury because it is a lot mentally and uh, that's just kind of how i coped with it 
All right, I got one more question for you before I turn it over to Eric here. Uh, on Twitter today, there was a, a post that came out with the best um, pizza in every Power Five college, uh, Power Five college town, and for Louisville, they said Derby City Pizza, I believe it was. Uh, I personally hard disagree, but curious your thoughts on that. And if you do disagree, where is the best pizza in Louisville? Uh, in Louisville. Uh... Mm-hmm. Impelizaries, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a little yeah. far downtown, but they have some really good pizza and pasta. Uh, but I haven't really been to a lot of small chain places downtown uh, a whole lot, but those are that one in particular to me is, uh, was a really good one. I 100% agree with you there. I've, uh, I've eaten my body weight in, in pies there many a times. And Eric, when, <laughs> Eric, when we finally meet up in Louisville, we'll have to hit that up. Listen, wherever I can find great pizza, that means you can find me. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Although, you know, and you know this, Joe, uh, before I uh, let you jump off here, is that uh, going to grad school in Chicago, I'm biased, man. Deep dish. I, don't, I haven't met anything, Ooh. I haven't eaten anything that can compare with a Chicago deep dish pizza. So, I mean, mm, can, yeah. can I at least get something like that at least? Or what, what, am, I, what am I in store for when I head to Louisville? Yeah, I think they have those. They definitely have deep dish. Might not be that Chicago style that you're looking for, but they have some deep dish. One place actually in Bowling Green that is prob- might be my one of my all-time favorite pizza places. It's called Firehouse Pizza. They have a big chief pizza. I forget how big it is, but it's probably I think it's might be like a four foot by four foot. You can barely fit it in your car. It's 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 amazing. It's really good pizza. You know what, Clem? I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I was gonna start. I was gonna start with your your high school days, but you mentioned Bowling Green, and you know, um, I actually have a chance to cover FIU for for UDD and SB Nation. So I I made the trip up to Bowling Green this year, you know, to cover the game, and I, I actually I didn't get the pleasure of staying in Bowling Green. I stayed in Nashville and then drove over the day of the game. However, um, you know, and I don't mean this as a slight to the the great folks there in Bowling Green, but you know, is it just it's just a little bit of a difference going from Miami to uh, to Bowling Green, Kentucky. So I was wondering if you could describe what it's like. I mean, you being a native of Louisville and then, you know, going to Bowling Green. How would you describe Bowling Green, Kentucky for those who've never had the pleasure of being there? Um, I would describe it by saying this. It's the highest, has the highest restaurant uh, per capita in anywhere in the United States. I believe I've heard that before. Uh, any any food chain place that you've ever heard of, we probably have it. <laughs> we actually just got a Texas Roadhouse for the first time and I think a couple weeks ago and there's been at least like an hour wait uh, at any time of the day that you want to go there. But uh, food, that's uh, one place, that's one thing that I would describe it as, a bunch of food. That means I need to circle back with FIU's SID. I will not call him out by name on this podcast, but he said that he could not – him and the rest of the communications crew that came up uh, last year could not find a bite to eat. Now, of course, I don't know if COVID played a factor in that, right? So maybe some of the places were closed. But and I, Joe, I, I see you're still on camera, so I see your face squinting as well. That's uh, what they said. You know, they said Friday night they could not find a bite to eat in Bowling Green. So I'm going to circle back with him and uh, and question him on on that one there. But um, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> gonna gonna go back to your high school days, man. Want to ask you two part question here. One. Um, about your college recruitment, I mean, as you know, Joe mentioned, you mentioned you started your career at Tennessee Tech at the FCS level, but do I have this correct? In addition to being a linebacker and a NDN, you were also a all-conference or all-county um, all receiver in high school. Is that correct? Yeah, I actually uh, I was trying to get recruited as a receiver out of high school for the longest. Um, I enjoyed scoring touchdowns, running routes. Uh, yeah, I was a uh, I was all-district receiver for four uh, for 
two years. Uh, and I was also a all district and all state linebacker. Um, I played a little bit of tight end, but I just really enjoyed playing receiver and scoring touchdowns. There's really not a the same feeling that you get. Like a sack doesn't really compare to a touchdown. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so when you were, you know, growing up there in Louisville and you were, you know, balling as a receiver, who were some of your guys in the, whether it was college or the NFL, who were some of your favorite receivers that you looked up to? Um, you know, I wasn't really a big NFL guy, but growing up in Louisville, you had guys like Devontae Parker and okay. uh, Eli Jenkins and guys like that that played for Louisville that uh, I always, you know, thought those were great receivers. Uh, then we had guys like uh, a little bit further back, like Mario Urudia. He actually was a coach uh, for us for a year uh, in high school, and uh, he taught me a lot as well. And uh, I do want to, like I said, ask about a little bit about your recruitment, how you ended up at uh, Tennessee Tech. What was the recruitment, you know, process for you like? I mean, you know, we have a chance to talk to recruits all the time. And, you know, uh, the great thing about covering CUSA is sometimes you may get a four-star kid who goes to school and, you know, they get all the offers in the world. But a lot of times <clears> those kids who, you know, don't get any of the stars and, and their recruitment process is, is unique. So I'm just wondering if you can kind of, you know, tell the listeners what your recruitment process was like and how you ended up at Tennessee Tech. Uh, yeah, so it's uh... – it's kind of a wild story. Uh, like I said, I was trying to get recruited as a receiver, and it just, you know, it wasn't really working. I didn't run that 4440 or 4540. Um, and, I, you know, so I didn't really get a whole lot of looks from that. So I went on this uh, the Gain Sports bus tour. Uh, it was a bus tour that goes to a bunch of different colleges and uh, uh, camps and seven on sevens. And uh, they uh, talked to me about maybe playing defense and linebacker. And, uh, you know, I haven't really thought about it before. I really enjoyed playing linebacker in high school. And, uh, I was like, well, I mean, if you all really think it's going to give me a shot to go to the next level, yeah, I'll try it. And, uh, yeah, I ended up working. Uh, I actually didn't have a single offer until after signing day uh, my senior year. Uh, coach, uh, A coach at Tennessee Tech called my high school coach and asked if they had any guys available. And uh, he asked me. I was actually sitting right next to him got the phone call. And uh, I told him, I'm not locked in anywhere. I was originally going to be – I was originally – committed to SEMO but that was as a walk-on so I could have I was able to switch over to Tennessee Tech went down there on a on a walk-on day uh and uh we went to the first little meeting with all the coaches and all the walk-on uh, uh guys there they're looking at and uh started off and they took me to the side actually in the weight room and uh coach Satterfield uh just wanted to see my size and see if uh because they liked me on film, but they thought I was 5'10 on film, which I thought was funny, because <laughs> um, that would have made everybody else on the field about 5'5", five, five <laughs> by that logic. So he actually pulled me aside, and he offered me right there. And, uh, I mean, that was one of the happiest experiences of my life. I mean, I was going to be going to college for free to play football, and uh, that was my first offer. was not expecting an offer at all, and uh, I got that. And uh, so that's kind of how I got to Tennessee Tech. I know Joe asked earlier, you know, some of the differences between FCS and FBS football in terms of maybe on the field as far as talent's concerned. want to ask you just in terms of, you know, the overall experience as an athlete in terms of the facilities and things of that nature. I mean, can you kind of paint a picture of just the differences between, you know, going from the FCS level to, you know, then going to FBS? Well, uh, my school in particular, I can speak on tech. Uh, one thing, when it rained outside, it rained, it rained in the locker room. There was all, whenever it rained, there was always a leak. <laughs> 
uh, in the locker room where it dripped in the in the middle of the locker room. Uh, very big difference. I mean, the weight room was great at Tennessee Tech. That was that was probably the best facility aspect of it. Uh, nutrition's a big difference. When I got to Western, they had a full nutrition bar. Uh, they had a nutritionist, uh, big weight room also, huge locker room that, you know, had, had your name in it, like your name on the nameplate. Um, but it's just every, everybody has their different experiences, but mine it was a pretty big upgrade for me. Want to transition to 2019 season. And, you know, Joe and I talked about just how special a year that was for Western Kentucky to go to a bowl game. But what people tend to forget is that one started out in a very auspicious way, to say the least. Um, talk about just the swing in terms of, A, you have that tough loss to Central Arkansas and kind of where the mood of the team was there. And then transition to the next week, as I mentioned, covering FIU, you guys came in as heavy underdogs, went down to Miami against a team that was projected to be, you know, one of the front runners in the East. And then you upset them on the road. And that really kind of, you know, kind of propelled you guys into a really great season. So just kind of wonder if you can talk about that seven day stretch where you open the season with high hopes only to lose to a, a, an FCS team and then swing it around a week later and you pull off one of the bigger upsets of the Conference USA season. Yeah, um, actually, after that first loss uh, in the locker room, it was kind of like kind of down ourselves because the year before we actually lost to an FCS school as well, and that season didn't didn't go too well. So we were all kind of uh, gathering together to make sure that this this loss wasn't gonna wasn't gonna bring us down like it did the year before. We're gonna bounce back from this. It's just one game that we'll be all right, and that's exactly what we did when we went down to FIU. We were we were hungry. We wanted to win, and uh, and uh, we just we just played better. I feel like in the I feel like we just wanted it more, and that's how we went down and got the win. Want to ask about one more game in that season? And statistically speaking, it is the best game of your collegiate career, at least at the FBS level. You had a thirteen tackle, one sack game against Middle Tennessee. Wonder if you remember much about that game, and maybe kind of bring the listeners in a little bit on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. To start that game, I actually I didn't start great in the first series. Uh, Asher O'Hara, he actually. Uh, he uh, maybe looked look a little foolish a time or two on that first series, and I actually got pulled out and uh, I regrouped, got my head together, and uh, went back out to really put on a great game. Uh, one thing that I remember uh, a lot is uh, number. Well, he was 44 for uh, MTSU, a big running back. Uh, we were up by, I believe it was three points, and they were driving down with uh, two minutes to go, I believe. And uh, they get handed the ball to him on a stretch, and uh, I forced the fumble there, uh, basically to seal the game. That was probably my my biggest highlight from that game that I remember the most. Uh, also, getting my first sack of the FB, my FBS career was also really exciting. But that game was uh, we weren't sure if we were going to play. It was raining, it was thunderstorming, it got delayed, came out a little slow, and then we picked it back up. And uh, it rained most of the game, but we were able to finish it off. But that that was an exciting game, especially being our you know long term rival. Uh, for us at Western. Yeah, the big running back you mentioned there is number 44, Shatan Mobley for Middle Tennessee. And, and I actually right, covered yeah. a game that year at uh, at Floyd Stadium where it was a monsoon. There is something unique about that stadium that when it rains, it just feels like the sky opens up on you and it just, it just <laughs> pours. So that's a interesting. Real quick, I want to ask you, you know, very random sidebar here, Clay. You mentioned Asher O'Hara um, and you talk about him kind of, you know, making you look silly on one play there. Um, any any surprise that he ended up transferring to the FCS level at Sacramento State? I mean, he seems like, like just on the surface, he'd be an FBS quarterback, right? I actually uh, had not heard about that. So, yeah, that is actually pretty surprising to me. I thought he was a, a great quarterback. Uh, I'm not sure what all is going, uh, going on at Middle Tennessee, but uh, that is uh, shocking news to me.
No, yeah, I just want to throw that random sidebar out at you. But want to transition, of course, as you know, you and Joe talked about earlier with you choosing to, you know, hang up the cleats. Uh, want to ask you this. I know it's kind of a somber question, so to speak, but I, I, I couldn't think of another way to really phrase it. I actually was watching a basketball show on ESPN earlier this morning, and one of the things they mentioned is that what can be tough for football players leaving the game is, you know, if you're an ex-NBA player or an ex-college player, you can go play pickup down the street, no matter what, right? Or if, if you're a, an ex-MLB player or whatever, you can always go to go to, up to the, you know, the park and, you know, get a few swings in. If you're a football player, once you finish playing, you're not putting on pads and run up to the park and be like, hey, you know, you want to go hit? Um, so I just wonder <laughs> if, 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 you know, kind of what that, I guess for lack of, a, lack of, of a better phrase, excuse me, that finality was like for you, knowing that, you know, the injuries were just too much and, and you're never going to put on the pads again. Um, really, I, what helped me, uh, what's helping me get through it is that I know I, I worked my butt off every day and that I was grinding. I mean, I came from a full scholarship to at Tech to being a walk-on at Western and uh, ended up earning a scholarship under Sanford and uh, he ended up getting let go, so I wasn't able I never actually ended up getting that scholarship. And then uh, Coach Helton uh, saw how I did his first spring here and offered me a scholarship here as well. So two scholarships under two coaches at the same school really just kind of salutes myself for how – shows how hard that I work and uh, left everything on the field. So I know that I have no regrets from my career. Um, but that's really what's probably getting me through that. And family and uh, all, all my teammates there show me a lot of love and – kind of all those things together and uh you know god really just being there with me comforting me keeping me at peace that's how uh that's how i'm getting through it all got a couple more for you before we wrap this one up uh you know as i read in the uh bowling green daily news the uh bowling green excuse me the western kentucky beat writer jared mcdonald does a fine job covering the the tops up there mentioned that you you know you're going to continue your your career uh, as a ga and um just wondering if you if you have any idea, you know, where you'd like to coach, if you, you know, had any any um you know talks with with coaches about potentially coming on as a GA and just what kind of coach that you kind of see yourself as. Um I've I've reached out to a few different schools. I'm I'm trying to go through kind of all my contacts on my phone and reach out to some coaches that uh I've coached under or I've played under and that or coaches that I might know from camps and stuff. Um, I really haven't had a, a huge league yet because, uh, you know, a lot of schools right now are giving their GAs another year or the NCAAs let them sure. get another year because of COVID, just like the players. So it's really kind of tough to find a spot right now. But, you know, my search is going to continue to look. Um, I know that a few schools like uh, Purdue is uh, uh, looking for a GA right now. So hopefully I can get on there. There's a, you know, Brahms up there. He was a great Western Kentucky coach. Uh, I would love to be up there and learn a lot under him. Um Sorry, what was your second part of your question? My bad. Oh, no, no, you, you pretty much answered the final one for me for going to wrap this one up is as you're beginning your coaching journey, just wondering some of the coaches who may have uh, influenced you as far as, you know, maybe uh, as a player and then maybe what your style will be as a coach. Oh, yeah, my style as a coach, I feel like I'll be a very energetic guy. Just my, my how I play, I feel like we'll very well, very easily transition over to being a coach. Just, uh, energetic, passionate, emotional, and uh um, just really firing the guys up because I feel like I can really get a guy going whenever he needs to. Uh, but also I read players really well. I know some guys that you really got to get on to and some guys that you got to lift up. Just kind of being a leader on the field, you learn that a lot. And I feel like that will roll over to be, to how I coach. Um, 
but coaches that have really influenced me is one in recent recently is coach crumb opposition coach and uh well and defensive coordinator uh at western this past well he just actually got promoted recently but uh he's been a huge influence on me his his knowledge of the game is is unmatchable something i've never really been around and uh he's going to be a great ga or a great uh, uh dc and head coach one day uh so that's one guy that's really uh, influenced me a lot another a couple other coaches uh, is Coach Polizzi, my position coach uh, over at Tennessee Tech. I think he's a DC now at uh, UT Martin. Uh, but that's another guy that really uh, that really took me under his wing as a young guy going into college and really had high expectations for me. And uh, he really just kept me on the straight path so I could continue to where I'm at today. Uh, and lastly, just uh, Coach uh, Riley and Coach LaFours at my high school. Uh, those guys really gave me the passion of uh, wanting to play college football and really enjoy just every aspect of the game. Love to hear it, Joe. Any way we can help this guy go out there and, you know, potentially through the uh, power of the, the Twitterverse, you know, get this episode out, get Clay Davis a GA job. Joe, you finish it up here, buddy? Exactly. You'll be a, a fantastic get-back coach in no time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I really do. Awesome. Well, uh, well, Clay, we really can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, for folks out there, if you want to follow uh, Clay on Twitter and his, uh, his other gaming platforms, it's uh, SilentCD, S, the number one, L-E-N-T-C-D. Uh, check out his uh, gaming content and, uh, of course, follow this young man's football coaching career. I know we're excited to see where you go next. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, so that was our conversation with uh, Clay Davis. He's uh, he's got a lot cooking. Um, you know, hopefully I uh, I can let him kick my ass in Call of Duty sometime. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, well, that you know is a given. That that will happen. I'm sure that you guys will be able to arrange it at some point in time. Hopefully, I can get back up to Bowling Green and try the uh, the uh, foods, the eats up there that you guys talk about. And um, also, he you know pursuing his post football career as a GA. So hopefully, when you know. Social media and Twitter does its thing, and this spreads out to the masses. And you know, if you are a, uh, I, I am, I am unbiased. However, um, Clay certainly sounds like a good kid, and if you are in need of a GA, he certainly sounds like he would make a great fit. Absolutely, I do want to have a conversation with whoever your contact at FIU was, who said they couldn't get a bite to eat in Bowling Green, Kentucky. That that person needs an education. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll go ahead and out him slash them. That would be the entire. FIU communications traveling party, uh, starting with SID Tyson Rogers, who is, is very great to us and uh, provides us much days from time to time. But Tyson getting thrown under the bus, that'd be uh, Tyson Rogers, backup uh, football contact Tyler Brain, and play-by-play man AJ Ricketts. They uh, apparently could not find food in Bowling Green. All right. Well, <laughs> hit me up next time you're in Bowling Green. We'll we'll try to align some schedules and you know get your bellies full. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks thanks so much to everyone who uh, tuned into this episode. Uh, follow us on Twitter at joehio underscore uh, Eric C Henry underscore. Uh, of course, Clay Davis as well. We mentioned his uh, social handles a second ago. But uh, and then of course at Underdog Dynasty every day for more G five football stuff. Uh, if we're timing the release of this right, we've got a lot of draft content up on the site now. So go check that out. Uh, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Happy football watching. 